I am so grateful to my friend Aaron for sitting down and talking to me really at the last minute about the death of his wife, Tiffany, about 18 months ago and the impact that that had particularly on his work life. I had put something out in my Instagram feed and as Aaron and I often do, we just sort of traded pretty blunt conversation and he, I don't know, remember if it was him or me, but we said, wow, we should really, we should really talk about this. So this conversation is a gift that probably none of us really deserve from a man who has been all the way through it. And we're just using his first name because his intention here is not to vilify or embarrass his previous employers, but more to let people know who are going through this at work that, you know, there really is a problem with work environments not being grief informed and also to let anyone who's listening who leads a team who is an executive director who is an HR director to know that it isn't enough to just be good people with good intentions that the work of grief and grieving is a social science that has lots of documentation about what works and doesn't work and it's informed by people telling us their stories like Aaron and there are experts out there who can and could be supporting you so that situations like this and the so many others that people have written to me about don't happen. So welcome to this episode. I think it's really special and I think we're all going to learn from it. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. This is your host, Megan Bearden-Jarvis, and I am really delighted, super honored to have my friend Aaron here with us today. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Sure. Happy to do it. I'm going to ask Aaron to open up his story of grief and loss in just a moment, but I wanted to let just our listeners know that recently this week, I had posted some things on my Instagram account about people's experiences at work, what they were like in their grieving process. And as Aaron and I sometimes do, we had a little side conversation over a chat modality. And I said, Hey, this seems really important want to come on and let's talk about this. So I'm so grateful that you are sharing this because as I said to you off mic, I got lots of responses about this. This is clearly an issue that is not going to go away. And so I really think that this conversation is, is a gift. It's you giving us the gift of your experience so that other people who are listening can learn from it. So Aaron, will you take us into your grief story, how do you come into the world of grief and loss? So in December of 2020, two days after Christmas, December 27th of 2020, my wife, Tiffany, died very suddenly and unexpectedly uh, from COVID. She was only sick for about 72 hours. And this was, you know, during the part of the pandemic where they were telling you on TV to look for certain symptoms. And, and she didn't have some of those symptoms, but she was clearly sick. And on the morning of December 27th, after she was coughing and having some issues, we decided we were going to take her to the doctor. And, you know, she had a smoothie for breakfast and was like, oh, this tastes good. And, and we had a conversation like, hey, you know, you need to, we, you probably need to go to the doctor. It doesn't sound like you're getting better. And she said, yeah, I think I have bronchitis. And, you know, we, we got ready to go to the doctor. She said she wanted to take a shower and she collapsed as she was getting ready to take a shower in cardiac arrest. Paramedics got here very quickly within less than 10 minutes, but they were not able to resuscitate her. Um, so she died at age 46. And we have a, at the time, a nine-year-old son, he's now 10. And so, you know, that's, that's my story, uh, December 27th. 2020 turned my world upside down and we're, we're now at 18, 19 months away, but I'm still on this, going through this grief process and all that goes along with it, adjusting to being a single parent. I know we're going to focus kind of on how it affected my work and my career. And so that's, that's obviously a big, big piece of all this too. Yeah. God. Well, and I'll say to listeners, I introduced Aaron as my friend and his wife, Tiffany, I still think of her as a friend. We often text about her. And so I really am grateful because this is really the first time you and I have had a chance to sit down and think about her. And you've been incredibly gracious talking about your experience and writing about it on your Instagram pages and including us 
And a lot of what we talk about is sort of, you know, the grief work and the work of learning to carry all the sorrow and the loss. And I'm just really aware that you are a single dad to your gorgeous son and that a lot of people are not able to be as open and connecting about their own experience, inviting other people in. And I know you're having an event to honor Tiffany coming up really soon. So I just wanted not only to thank you for being on the podcast and thank you for keeping her in our minds all the time, which that's not hard to do because she's, she's a lot to lose, you know, her, her, she's a big, bright sunshine, but, but also, you know, you're doing the hard work every single day of learning to live without her and parenting your son and providing a life for the two of you. Yeah, there's, you know, we, we were married for 14 years together for 18 years. This, this December will be the 20th anniversary of my first date with her. So it has certainly turned things upside down for me. This is not not what I expected for my life. And, and it, it changes every aspect of your life. I've, I've struggled with, with many pieces of this, you know, over the last year and a half. And one of the things I'm really committed to do, though, is to, to talk about her as often as I can. And, and, when, and when necessary, and, you know, share the, the story that my son and I have to share. I think no one ever thinks you're going to be in this situation. And I certainly never did. And here I am. Yeah. And what I often think about is the first conversation that I had with Tiffany really was about her losing her own mom. Mm -hmm. And so I just often think about, you know, that you're, you're carrying that for Sam right now is helping him and holding him with the loss of his mom. Can you tell us a little bit about when I said, Hey, here's a story of something that's going on. I was referencing this thing that's happening sort of in the public sphere a news anchor who was accused of being drunk and who may have been drunk. I have no idea, but what I do know is that she was also in the throes of grieving her dad and that her company had her scheduled to work, you know, insane hours. So can you just tell, tell folks about sort of what the reaction was when I wrote about that, how that connected to your own story of the timeline and the trajectory, because really well, 18 months out is not that far out. Well, I mean, so I should preface this by saying that the, the job I'm going to speak about today, I, I'm no longer at that job. I left that position at the end of February of this year for, for many of the reasons we are going to discuss here in a moment, but your post struck a chord with me because, you know, I think it, it, it becomes something that you like to think that work is a safe place. And I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that anything I went through was like they were horrible to me. In fact, in many cases, I'm going to say the opposite, but it struck a chord with me because ultimately you know, as I went through this, the worst year of my life, right, after after losing Tiffany, I, I feel like that there were some things that maybe some mistakes I made in the workplace and some mistakes that my employer made. I think that it just struck a nerve with me. And when by the time I left that job, I left because I felt it wasn't fixable. I just, you know, I, I felt like that what had occurred during the, the year of my grieving and the year after my loss could not be repaired and it would never be fixed. No matter how long I worked there, I would be viewed as the guy whose wife died that I would, you know, I, and, and I'm going to talk, you know, I know we're going to talk in detail about this, but I just, I just feel like there were things that came up during the year that I, I just, it was time for, I needed a fresh start. There was almost no choice, um, you know, but to walk away from, from that employer and, and that group of people. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot in grief and loss is that the moment you experience your loss, that untenable moment, everything about your life is a before and after moment, right? And that there are some things that cannot carry into the after in the way that they were before. And when I think a lot about grief and loss in the time of COVID, 
you know, people are talking about what are work environments like, what's it like to go back and be grieving. And there isn't really a back. We don't get to go back to work. We're going to an office again, but it has to be reconstructed so that it includes people being embraced. And, and I don't just mean employees. I also mean executives. You know, there are a lot of executives out there that lost a tremendous amount in the same way that their employees did. They have a higher paycheck and a, and a uh, larger responsibility, but they're still human. But the concept that you're describing, which is, you know, you needed a fresh start makes a lot of sense to me. I also know it has to have been driven by ways in which people were not able to see you and hold you and understand and help you feel as though what you were going through as a human was okay at work. And I hear that a lot, right? Like, so that's what I hear a lot from folks is that the reason that they had to put distance between them and this person or them and this place or them and is that I can't be as I need to be here and I can't be other than how I am. I would agree with that. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about, you know, you don't have to name your employer. And I said to you already, you know, I, I'm never interested in vilifying anyone as a human. I actually really believe that people are doing the best that they can all the time. My soapbox about grief and loss is we could have more education. And so when everyone is feeling like, oh, well, I don't know how to behave. I'll just behave the way that I saw in the movies or I'll do what my, you know, sister-in-law, all of that is just random sort of grabbing in the dark instead of all the actual information that we have from people like you who share their experience and say, actually, this is not great and this is better. And again, I think in the workplace, the workplace hasn't really asked people this question yet. It is, it's learning, but it hasn't asked the question of how can we show up for you in a, in a way that's meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe as, as we talked about earlier, the best way is for me to start in on kind of the timeline of my, yeah. you know, I, I would just start by explaining that, that I started this particular job in October of 2020, which was during the middle of the pandemic. Everybody was remote. I was doing job interviews on Zoom, much like we're talking now. I am well into my career in working in government relations, particularly for nonprofit organizations. And in, in 2019, there was you know, some reasons that led me to look for a new opportunity. So in 2020, I was interviewing you know, for jobs during a difficult time, right? Everybody was remote. It was, yeah. so, you know, I, I, I got hired at, at this place, a small organization, you know, less than 30 employees, but I was really grateful for the opportunity. And during the interviews, it just felt really right. And, you know, of course they were all remote at the time and there was an expectation they were going to come back at some point. So that was, that was fine. I might, might also add that part of my career has always involved a fairly significant amount of travel. And so this job was going to involve some travel, but keep in mind, this is, this is October of 2020. And little did I know in 60 days that my life was going to be, you know, immensely changed and immensely different. So, you know, I start the job in October, 2020, everything seems to be going fine. And then, you know, I, you know, Tiffany, Tiffany's death on December 27th over the holidays, you know, it's the holiday season. The office was closed between Christmas and New Year's. But, you know, for that first two or three months after her death, my employer was, was very understanding. It was sort of like work when you can, get on calls and conference calls and answer emails the best you can, but hey, we understand. And obviously I was in shock. I was diagnosed with COVID at the time. I was just trying to figure out, you know, what the hell just happened here. So that first 60 or 90 days, they were, they were really understanding. And, and frankly, Megan, I don't know if it would have mattered if they were really understanding yeah. or not, because yeah. I, what was I going to do? Yeah. You know, what was I, I was not going to be productive one way or another. So I don't know if they had a choice whether to be understanding yeah. or not. Um, yeah. Your brain is so, is so hijacked and rattled and your body is trying to acclimate to the impossible that, you know, even in situations, sometimes it's just people leave faster when their boss says you have 72 hours and you have to come back because that, or I need this from you. We hit our actual human limits in these moments where 
I can't do that. So whether they were warm and welcoming, as it sounds like they were, and compassionate and caring or demanding, you were going to have to do what you needed to do during that time. Yeah. So, you know, that first, you know, three, four months after her death, I, I don't want to say it's irrelevant what they thought, but I, I certainly didn't feel like there was any kind of pressure from work felt, you know, there were many individual acts of kindness from colleagues, from my supervisor and others related to the organization, you know, in that industry. So, you know, so that's how I would describe that kind of early, early time period. But I will say that I did something at that time period that I, I think I came to regret later in that a lot of folks, because, you know, again, I started this job 60 days basically before her death. And I didn't know these people. Yeah, I didn't know these people at all. And so I had the double whammy in that I'm going through the worst catastrophe of my life. And, and I'm, you know, it's not like I've been at this job, my previous job, I've been there eight years, I felt like I knew everybody and you have established relationships and credibility. And, you know, yeah. I had this really complicated situation of I don't know them, they don't know me, I'm the new guy. You know, this guy's wife has just died from COVID. And I think I made a, a, a little bit of a mistake during that time, because a lot of them were asking me, well, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? And my first response was, well, I want these people to know me. And so I came to regret this later, and I'll talk about this later on in my sort of story, but I, I asked people to friend me on social media and follow me on social media, co-workers, you know, the CEO of the organization, my supervisor, other people within the industry that were reaching out to me that I did not know. They were saying, what can we do? And my first thought is, I want them to know me. I want them to know Tiffany. Care about me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you know, other people are taking care of the other stuff people do, right? Like send you gift cards and food and, and look, these might, you know, people from the job did all that stuff too. I don't mean to, but I, what I wanted from them was just to know me, you know, I, I don't, I didn't know them. It was a strange environment and we were all remote. So again, I, I hadn't even met face to face. So crazy. Basically any of my colleagues at that point. Yeah. So that was that sort of first few months following her death. And things sort of took a turn, in my opinion, a little bit for uh, the more challenging, I guess, if you will, in June. In, in June, when they asked us to come back to the office three days a week. Okay. And I, I will lay out some reasons why that was really challenging for me. First of all, I have, an, at, at, you know, my son's 10 now, but at, at this time he's nine. So that presents two challenges. There was no vaccine for children under 12 at that point. So I'm now going to, even though I'm vaccinated, I'm going to go back to an office and I'm going to have a child at home whose mom just died of COVID, who's not vaccinated. And I'm going to go to an office three days a week. There's also the childcare issue. You know, I'm, I'm a newly minted single dad unexpectedly. And this is June. Yeah. You know, could, could we not maybe think about postponing the going back to the office till August when September. Yeah. with people oh, with children, here. Yeah. you know, so now I'm scrambling to find childcare and, you know, so I've got those, those challenges. And, you know, fortunately I was able to find some camps for him to go to very quickly. But at that time, remember childcare wasn't even up fully running yet. I you know, know, we're, we're talking you know, June of last year, some camps are not being held, you know, it's, are you, can kids, can this many kids be together? Again, for children under 12, no, no vaccine at that time. So I've got these childcare issues. And so when, when I had to go back in June, it flustered me and it felt frankly unnecessary. And I'll, I'll just pause there. I've got some other things to talk about related to that return to the office, but you know, those, those were two obvious challenges for me related to being a parent. When you say flustered, did you, do you mean annoyed? Like, did that, were you, I, I'm curious about how this information was conveyed to you. This is a pretty small organization that you're talking about. So were, were you getting the emails that I hear about at companies, which is just like, Hey, all staff email will be coming back, you know, June 1st with no acknowledgement 
of what that might mean to you individually or personally? Is that how, or, or were people reaching out and saying, Hey, Aaron, I know this is going to be really complicated and difficult for you, but we just want, you know, this is, we've thought about this, this is what we're doing. We, we know childcare might be hard. Like how, how did you get, how did you get these pieces of information that seem like, um, yeah, they're going to affect everybody, but Jesus, they're really going to affect you. So I had been told on a phone call from the CEO that we would be coming back. The emails that went around did not seem to offer any acknowledgement of potential challenges or exceptions other than if folks were not vaccinated. So the reward for being vaccinated was you get to come back. How lucky for you. Wow. And, so that's pretty um, obtuse. I mean, that's pretty obtuse to have such a dramatic experience. And, and again, I'm imagining that there weren't other people in your small organization who have this story. So it's not like there's seven, 70,000 of you, and it's hard to keep straight who died when that this is a, you know, a unique story that wouldn't be hard to take into consideration, both in the delivery of the, and maybe even also just offering a little bit different flexibility. My recollection is there was, there was no, uh, my recollection is we're coming back and, and it's going to be three days a week and that's the way it's going to be. And I think I was, there was even, it was even message to the point of that was done intentionally. So there wouldn't be a big bunch of gray area. It's like, we're coming back three days a week period. And I'm not, we're not getting into all this other nuanced stuff. That's just the way it is. And, you know, the, the three day a week thing, I think was supposed to be some sort of compromise, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fill in some blanks here with information that I, you know, I'm just trying to recall at the time it was just, we're coming back in June and that's the way it is. Well, the sentiment is enough, right? I mean, again, I think one of the things that's the biggest the way that grievers talk about this, and certainly my, this was my own experience, is that I often reacted with frustration and anger to places where people implied I should be other than I was, even though they knew why I was the way that I was. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't have the information. You had the information. It's just your sort of bulldozing through this. And, you know, there's a, there's a phrase in therapy, which is like, people need to be seen and heard in order to feel known, in order to feel important, in order to feel significant. And you are, you are in this life where the earth stops spinning on its access appropriately. And what happens here, again, maybe not bad actors, but stupidly obtuse, they make your incredibly hard thing harder for maybe just the sake of a policy that has to happen instead yeah. of saying, how, how can we embrace your actual experience? And I don't, you didn't say, you said frustrated, but you know, when I found myself in those situations, I, I was, I was furious finding myself in some of those situations. Well, some of my anger in this story is going to come a little bit later, but I will yeah. say when we were told we had to come back in June, yeah, my what I recall, my biggest gut reaction is why the hell Jim? Yeah. You know, I mean, if I have a nine-year-old son who's out of school right now, can't we come back in September? What is the difference? You know, and there's also no vaccine for my son at that point. There was no vaccine available for kids under 12 at that point. And so again, I'm, you know, it's one thing for me as a vaccinated adult to say, yeah, I'm going to go to an office, but now I'm, you know, so that was my reaction at the time. I think there was some indication that maybe it had been decided months before, maybe before I had started there, that there was some discussion about coming back in June and that was their timeline. So they were sticking with it. But I mean, it, it, to me, my biggest reaction at that time is why now, why now? And, and what difference did it make, you know? And, but a couple other challenges that came from that is once we got back to the office three days a week, well, guess what? Now my son is going to camp. He has to be dropped off at 9 a.m. Oh my God. Picked up at 4 p.m. So guess who gets to work at 9.30 every morning and has to leave at 3.30 to get my son at camp? That would be me. And it was only a matter of time before I heard about that. And, 
you know, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but that was my, that was an initial problem when I went back in June. And then another thing was just the reaction of my colleagues. Everyone had their doors closed and, you know, people were concerned about COVID, but here we are back so we can all be social and interact with each other. But in this very small office, everybody's doors closed, nobody's talking to each other. And my favorite is we did our staff meetings on one of the two days a week we were working remotely because they didn't want everybody in the conference room together because of COVID. So we did our staff meeting on Zoom on one of the days of the week that everybody wasn't there, that everybody was remote. So let's all go back to the office and be together, but not be together. So once we got back, my frustration with, well, why are we doing this in June became, okay, this is, yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Why are we doing this at all? Not just why are we doing it in June, but why are we doing it at all? I mean, if you're going to be in separate offices with your door closed, what is the difference if you're in your own house with the door closed and your staff meetings don't even include live staff also? I mean, look, there's a rationale. We don't want too many people in a room during COVID, but then what are we doing back in this office to begin with? And I have to say, I mean, my first thought when you were talking about the drop-off and the pickup is it's just what popped into my head. I wonder if people would have given you such a hard time if you were a woman that there's something about the obvious caretaking of a child that I think uh, women get more of a pass on that they're, you know, if they say I've got to run out of the office early because I got to pick my kid up from whatever, that I think it's less noticeable maybe. And also wildly inappropriate. And what I'm thinking about from Sam's perspective is, you know, he's early into the loss of his mother. So even if it, even if some nice neighbor was like, I will drop Sam off, it's between you and Sam to decide how he's going to get to camp. It's between you and your son to decide what's right for him as you're trying to support his mental health, which I know is your top priority. So the idea that other humans who are, I'm sure also parents couldn't have engaged with some sort of thoughtfulness and curiosity is it's, you know, I said, we're not here to vilify people, but the tra- the wheels are coming off the bus for me here where it's like, come on guys, how are we not doing better with this by now? So, you know, as that summer went along, it, it became even more challenging in July, I was asked to go on a work trip. And so again, here I am getting on a plane. We will just say it was a state that at election time, maybe typically colored very red on a map. And I was asked to go to a work event. And so here I am now traveling again. Let me just reiterate one more time with a nine-year-old still not vaccinated at home, going on a work trip, dealing with now overnight childcare. One of my, my sister came, traveled about 500 miles from Indianapolis to come out and thankfully be here overnight with my son. But this becomes you know, I, I just want to talk about this a little bit too, because this was a difficult trip for me. I mean, I have traveled for work for more than 20 years. Yeah. Tiffany traveled for work. So our son, Sam, was used to mom and dad being gone for work trips. But one of us was, of course, always here when the other one was traveling. It always worked out that we never had trips at the same time. But this trip was difficult for me. You know, it's, it's my first time leaving him since Tiffany's death. You know, we're again, we're still in the midst of this pandemic and I'm, I'm, I wasn't scared to travel, but again, I was asking myself, is this necessary? And so I go to this meeting. This is the first time I'm meeting a lot of the people in the industry. And, and let me just stop here and say, they were all very kind to me. They knew what had happened in my life. They, they were generous but it was an awkward meeting for me. I was feeling really down. I wasn't feeling very social. I was sad. I was tired. I was questioning why I was there. And I probably did not exactly shine as on that trip, you know, and I can't apologize for that, but you know, that's, that's what happened with that trip. 
And, you know, a few weeks later, it was brought to my attention that I needed to do a better job schmoozing and I needed to be more outgoing. And, oh my God, uh, you know, and that, that was really hard to hear. And so I'm going to, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. So this was, this was in July and then Tiffany's birthday is July 31st. And, and uh, obviously with her death being during the middle of this pandemic, immediately after her death, we could only have a, we did, some friends did an online memorial service, which was wonderful. And then mm-hmm. we did a small funeral for her in, in February of that year that had to be outdoors in a church parking lot with 10 people. So on her birthday, July 31st, we did a celebration of life event last year. And the CEO of the organization came to the event, which was very kind of that person to do. Mm. And I give that individual full credit and very much appreciate them being there. I gave a speech at the Celebration of Life event that I put a lot of thought into. Uh, There was a lot of passion and emotion behind it. And after the event in the office the following week, I was, that's when I got kind of a talking to about the the July work trip about how, you know, I needed to schmooze more. And where was the guy that we just saw give that speech? That's the guy we hired. Why don't we see him? And shut the front door. And that stung. That stung. I could never speak as passionately about (laughs) work, any job as I could about my wife who had recently passed away. And that stung. So for me, that meeting in early August where I was told- oh my God. Where, I can't, where I'm I, sorry. I just like can't even <laughs> breathe from what you're saying. I just can't even breathe. I can't Yeah, Yeah, I was, I, I was told, why don't we see that guy? Where's that guy? So that's, that's not, that's, that's the exact words that were used. You know, people do not need to be cajoled or coached out of their grief. That is not a thing that happens. We, you know, you don't like- go to the depths of your like Samuel Jackson slash Robin Williams heart and inspire someone to supersede their pain. That is not a thing that happens. So I'm just gonna, I'm just saying that out loud that like if anyone is thinking that that's their job, which is to be able to coach someone out of the incredibly appropriate emotional experience that they are having because their wife died in order to get them to perform better at work, that is your emotional problem and you should go see a therapist. If that is the approach that you're taking. And I can't imagine you said it stung. I, again, I'm not sure how you didn't throw plates because. Well, for me, I feel like I, that was the beginning of the end though for my time. And, you know, in that August discussion, this, I was told, you know, I needed to be more outgoing toward my work colleagues who all have their, by the way, all have their doors closed all day, every day. You know, I was told told I needed, you know, that at that July trip that I described how difficult that was for me, that I wasn't outgoing enough, you know, it was brought to my attention about the arriving late and the leaving early. So you were getting a perpetual performance review. You were getting a performance review six and a half months after your wife's death. Yes. I mean, in, in essence. And so... I was told that, you know, when I, I was, the question was posed to me at that time, what they said to me is, do you think this is working out for you? And I said, no, <laughs> you know, and, but what am I supposed to do at that point? Right. What am I supposed to do at that point? Right. I don't want to lose my job. I mean, I got enough other things going on. I need health insurance. I've I, you know, I don't want to lose my job, but for me, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. But I'm told at that meeting that in our upcoming annual meeting in September, that I need to be just do a better job schmoozing and relationship building, which how do you even measure that? How do you measure that? Who gets to decide whether I'm doing enough? So in September, we have this meeting moved from, moved from a very, a, a state with a lot of COVID restrictions to a much less restrictive state. So the meeting can still be held in person. 
So I I go, I'm now on my second trip for, you know, in September, again, with an unvaccinated son at home. And, oh, you know what? I forgot, Megan. I found out shortly after this this first trip that one of my colleagues tested positive for COVID. I almost asked you that. Didn't anyone test positive for COVID? Because I- And the the office was not closed at that time. That individual just worked quarantined at home. And I got a COVID test shortly before my wife's celebration of life, just to make sure that I was negative. So that was another. God. So I go to this September meeting and I go to all the late night parties. I do as much schmoozing as I can. Right. I, again, I have, I'm there for five nights. I have, so I have, you know, I won't go into how I manage the overnight childcare, but after the trip, I got no real feedback as to how I did. And I went in and with some notes about what I did at that meeting, prepared to talk about it. And it was never really addressed, you know, like, are things getting better? Did I do okay? And so things seemed to be going fairly well for that fall. But, you know, I had basically decided around that time that this probably wasn't sustainable for me. And, you know, the final blow really came before Christmas, you know, when I got a negative job review, the only negative performance review I've ever had in 28 years in the workforce, and was told on a phone call that that would also result in a 0% raise. So during, you know, a time of record inflation, you know, that's essentially a pay cut. That's, you know, I, I could, I guess I was, I could understand if you wanted to say I didn't earn a merit raise during the year, I get it. I mean, you know, I wasn't exactly an all-star for all the reasons we've discussed here this evening, but I felt like a negative job review and a 0% raise were, were, was like putting a bunch of signs on the wall pointing toward the door. And, you know, the, 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 the job review line that got me, it says, while your comprehension of the subject matter, writing and analysis of work and workflow prioritization has been outstanding, there are other, other important facets, such as engagement and relationship building. And so, you know, I wasn't going to be a different person at this point. I, I was never going to be able to be this outgoing person that they wanted me to be. It was, it was not repairable at that point. How was I going to be what someone else wanted me to be? How is that even measured? Oh, Aaron gets five stars today because he schmoozed with somebody. And so it becomes this thing that's not even measurable. So I had decided after that performance review that, that I was leaving. I, I mean, I kind of laid out a timeline for myself that was advantageous to me so that I could leave in the springtime, you know, four or five months into the year so that I would be off work when my son was out of school. Now, fortunately, another job opportunity came along sooner. And so I didn't have to, you know, fake it until I made it, (laughs) you know, as some people told me to do, you know, I just, I was able to, to leave and, and, you know, but the, the, the writing was on the wall for me back with that August conversation. And then the, you know, the performance review just was an invitation to leave. That's the way I viewed it. It was, it was, you know, we don't want to fire this guy with his situation, but, you know, it's, it's practically an engraved invitation to, to leave. And I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong. That's the way I see it. No, you know, what I'm thinking about, what I'm thinking about is, you know, I wrote this op-ed a little while ago about the study and the researchers who are economists, they they pulled together, you know, they're looking at the great resignation and they're trying to come up with the explanation as to why this thing is happening. Why have 31 million people left their jobs since spring of 2021? And what they come up with is a toxic work environment. That is the data point that people report in Glassdoor, right? So they're giving a qualitative report of why they're leaving their jobs. But what you've laid out here is a toxic work environment. When we look at how many people are grieving, it's like upwards of 9 million people. Where are most people who are adults? They're at work. What what becomes, what is a toxic work environment when you don't feel respected? 
And so they list out, you know, these researchers, misogyny and racism and being undermined and all what is not listed there is grief. The idea that when you are grieving, you have to do it at work. And I, I worked with a really small company, smaller than the one that you're describing. And they had two employees who lost people during the time of COVID, not both from COVID. Uh, and their response went because they wanted to think about these things and hired a consultant, which was me to talk about this. What they came up with was after doing a little bit of learning about what grief happened, you know, what grief is in the body and what is it, how long does it take to acclimate to some degree so that you can at least feel like you don't need to hold on to the handrails when you're walking around in life. You know, the estimates are somewhere around 18 months to two years. That's what people report. Not that they can't function, but that they aren't actually moving forward, that they're just trying to steady themselves and that it takes about that amount of time. And so what this tiny little company said was, well, then we're going to co-create a new job description for this person. We're going to sit down with them and say, this is the job that you had. This is the job that we're hoping that you can do. Tell us what works for you. We're going to check in. How's it going every other week? And you are not going to be held accountable for getting it wrong because the promise that you made to us about what your job could be and the promise that we made to you, which is here's the job we want to offer you. Those things have gone to ash. And so what we have is a company and an employee. And so we need to co-create something new that works for everybody. And if that does not work for you, we will help you figure your way out of here into something that works better. And in one of those cases, childcare really was an issue. And that is exactly what this company did is they said, we can't make the job that you used to have be fewer hours. That job needs to get done in this way, in this format. What can we co-create for you that will work better? And honestly, that employee who had suffered a tremendous loss, I think felt comfortable enough to tell the truth, which is there's nothing you can do. I need to get out of this job and get a different job. And that is what they helped her do. So I'm not imagining these are the things that are possible when people have the acute awareness that it's not just a like, oh, Aaron's feeling sad. It's an completely embodied experience. Grief impacts your mind. And I don't mean like, oh, your mental health. I mean, your memory, your ability to read, your ability to sleep, your and your body. You know, I know people that had diarrhea for two years, still don't have good digestion, still get migraines, still have like weird asthma responses because we are somatic beings and our emotional states move through our bodies. So the fact that your company really thought like, well, maybe we'll scold him and coach him into performing better. You knew that was not going to work. And so that's what I hear. It's like leaving a relationship. I can see the writing on the wall of who you are and what you value. And it's not me and it's not being connected to me. And so I don't need to tell you, but I'm checking out. I've already, I already know that this relationship is over here. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, that I, I want to make sure that I articulate here in talking to you is what really, really got under my skin is being told that I wasn't functioning at a yeah. high level or that, that, you know, it seems like you're not functioning. And I will tell you, I thoroughly believe during that difficult year, I was functioning at a higher level than any time in my life. I was using every ounce of every skill I have in my life, every fiber of my being to manage and function everything I was dealing with. And, and my true sort of, maybe it's coming across now, my true anger at this situation, I think they meant well, I really do. But to be told you're not functioning really, really pisses me off. Yeah. I, I was, so I was sending and minimizing and it's so it's looking at, I don't know, whatever your job description was and says, well, Aaron, we wanted you to be doing X more of this. I mean, it's just, an, it's completely insane. I was functioning at a very high level 
I just wasn't prioritizing what they wanted me to prioritize. Because Thank God for that. Thankfully, well, and right, and you know, to tell you the truth, because what was more important to me was everything else going on in my life. The, yes. the job can be replaced. The job can be- it was replaced, you know, in fact. You know, so and, and the, the- Good priorities. The, you know, I, I'm sorry, but other things were more important. And, you know, to be told that I wasn't functioning really gets under my skin. I, I can't imagine that I could have functioned at any higher level. I mean, you know, it's fight or flight every day. It's all that every stuff day. you hear about the grief process. I was dealing with so many things and it just really angers me to be told I wasn't fun functioning at a time when I thought I was functioning higher at a higher level than any time in there wasn't really a, any sort of approach and conversation with you, right? Like, how do you think you're doing? Like, how do you, like, there wasn't really a way of saying to you, you know, again, like, how do we make this situation work for both of us? By the way, I, I have dozens and dozens of examples of this where someone shows up really nice with a fruit basket. We're so sorry for your loss right? Best phrase ever. Maybe comes to a funeral, maybe writes a check for something and take all the time you need. And the person comes back to their office and all the work and all the deadlines are sitting on their desk, but they were told to take the time that they needed. And now they're in the office and Stephen comes in and says, are you going to make the meeting that you don't know anything about? And oh, by the way, our, you know, the shit for our deadline is due on Thursday. Yeah, they didn't mean case, take all the night. They didn't mean my, take all the time. In my case, it wasn't even about the deadlines. It was almost like you're you're being too sad. You're not schmoozing enough. You're not being outgoing enough. You're not, you know, the where's that when, when I give the speech and they're like, where's that guy? Well, oh my God, Aaron. You know, I think that I wasn't going to be what they, I couldn't be. It wasn't about deadlines. It wasn't about the the functional parts of my job, it was about the way I was carrying myself and the way I was, you know, I was sad. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had other priorities. I wasn't a happy guy. I wasn't going to come into the office whistling and joking every day. I was, I was I mean, struggling. I, didn't, I work for myself, as you know, and I didn't come back into work for six months after my mom died because I had really compound trauma after she died. And I went into an inpatient hospitalization situation, as my listeners know, but what I can tell you hundred percent is that I didn't give a shit about the things that I didn't give a shit about. And I didn't feel bad about it. And that actually hasn't changed. The image that I always is like, I couldn't seem past my own hands. And I have had some people say like, you know, personally, that was really hurtful to me because I was used to our relationship being X, Y, and Z. I was used to you being able to attend to me. And I also don't feel bad about that, but I feel a little bad about that, right? Like, I'm sorry that I couldn't show up and be the friend or the mother or whatever that you needed in that time, but it's not like I was pretending. It's not like I was watching baseball. I could not see past my own hands and I couldn't do any more than I was doing. So the notion that anyone could have said to you, hey, you know what? We're sitting over here at the Olympic grief judges and we've decided that you should, you know, do that little triple axle differently. And you're not living up to your potential. Again, your anger and my anger may show up differently, but I'm telling you, I would have broken some plates, but also it's so not grief informed. The concept of being grief informed is just knowing a little bit about what it means to be a griever and anyone who, particularly people who have experienced sudden loss will tell you what I just said, which is I can't care about what I can't care about. I cannot do it. It is not possible. You cajoling me, telling me you'll give me a million dollars saying that I can go home at four and I, maybe you can get me to come into the office. And, but I'm not going to be able to care. I'm not going to be able to do the things that you want me to do. I can only do the things that are possible for me. And what I'm always encouraging people to do is you tell them what's possible and they need to ask you what's possible. And then we need to decide, is that going to work for us? What we do is we say like, you go do your grief over there. Sure. You can have an hour off to go see your therapist. If you need to, we're going to stand over here and kind of give you the side eye. And like, you just let us know if you need something and we're going to act like we're going to give it to you. But really work is not the place. 
We're not going to work is work and work is not the place. And here's the thing. Work has to be the place because we're human every place and we're grievers every place. You know, in my situation, I, I really believe they met well. And I, there were many individual acts of kindness. And but there became a point where, as you described earlier, it was a relationship that was not going to work. I felt that, you know, my reputation, if you will, was damaged. I was always going to be this guy. I felt like maybe at times I shared too much, but I, I, I also feel that there were folks there who, you know, felt like there's a certain timeline, you know, okay, it's been six months now, it's been long enough, you know, there were, there were sort of hints that, you know, work would help distract me, really bury yourself in work, really, you know, that work is going to be something, you know, work is going to be something you can really, it's going to really help you get through this. And as you mentioned earlier, I, it just wasn't that important to me and too many other things were going on. And so it, it wasn't going to be the thing where I was ever going to be passionate about it. And so I, I get it. That's, you know, this is where it becomes, it's a relationship that isn't going to wait. It's, it's, it was, it was damaged beyond repair. And, you know, I think, for me, some lessons learned are, you know, look, mental health is not viewed the same as physical health. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's an obvious one, right? Yeah. If I was in a car accident, broke both my legs, there would be no, you know, he should be over it by now kind of thing. I think, I, I feel like for me, I will never again share so much with work colleagues or with a supervisor as I did. I felt like that was going to help them get to know me and understand my situation. But I feel like the more that I shared, I mean, I hate to say this, it's almost like a court situation. Everything you yeah, say can and will be used against yeah. you. And so I feel like, you know, I, I, I made a mistake early on right after Tiffany's death and, and, and sharing so much with, I wanted people to know what I was going through. I thought they would under, it would help them understand. And I think that was a mistake, you know, and this, this, we talk about this too, just, I feel like others kind of projected how they think I should be doing or how, what the timeline should be, or, or how would they handle it? You know, like, what would they do if this happened to them? Well, you know, nobody knows, right. And, 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 and so there was, there's, there's some of that that goes on too of, well, you know, this is, I, I know I would just bury myself in work if this happened to me, you know, and, you know, nobody knows anything. You, you know, I, one of the reasons I talk so much about this is that I was completely stunned to discover how impacted I was, how, how ill, how sick I became after my mom died. I mean, I've read all the books, I've done all the training and I've had all the conversations. And so one of the reasons I like to have this conversation is, is to say to people, Hey, listen, guess what I did in my grief and loss is I did what you did. I overshared. I told people, people in Starbucks, how are you doing? Well, my mom just died. And here's the thing. I've had the conversation enough with other grievers to know that is what it's like. You are, your boundaries are blown. You have no windows to pull shut. And so you find yourself behaving in a way that you wouldn't otherwise, because it's a little like a kid in a grocery store going, I think I'm lost. I'm lost. I was by the graham crackers. I don't know where I am now. All of us look back at that and say like, ah, shit, that was, I mean, I am on a podcast. I have a recording of me where I am not great. And I am saying things that I wish were not out there in the ether. So I have a lot of empathy for that. And I also feel like, again, you know, it's nobody's fault, but if people had the education Maybe you're inviting people in, but your company would know, you know what, we're, we're going to send flowers to that, or we're not going to friend you on Facebook, but we want to know about these things that there are, there's responsibility on, on both sides. And I feel like we leave it all up to the griever, right? I mean, what do we say to the griever? It's like the first thing, let me know if you need something, you know, how can, I don't even know how to get up in the morning. I don't even know how to go to bed at night. I have no idea what you could offer me. And that's really what I ask companies to do is sit down and think about what do you want to offer at this story? My listeners have heard before, but I worked with a company who 
you know, we were just doing like, let's talk about grief and loss, such a, such a lovely group of executives. And I said, well, what do you do if you have, if somebody has experiences a loss in this company, what do you do? And they said, oh, well, you know, we send flowers and we send a card and the HR person got this look on her face. And I was like, what is that look? And she said, you know, we send the same basket that we send when people sign on with the company. We send the same exact flower basket. And I was like, oh, well, shit, that's pretty bad. And then they had this whole conversation about what would be good. And actually, some people did say, when I lost my X, Y, and Z person, here is what people did that was helpful. And within an hour, an hour, what this company decided that they wanted to do was use their partnership with hotels to offer family members who were coming in for funerals free hotel rooms. And you would have thought that they had just cured cancer, the back slapping, but they felt so good about the authentic way of showing up and knowing that it was going to be a concrete offer and being able to say in the Monday meeting to the company, this is what we're doing. This is our policy. This is what we believe in. Because the reality is if you leave it up to Joe in the cubicle next to you, you have no idea what Joe is going to say. You have no idea how he is going to behave. And we grievers are kind of defenseless against people like Joe. We cannot stop him from ruining my work environment. We cannot stop. And certainly when it's a supervisor who has some sway in decision-making, you know, what I really hate is when that guy gets to go home and feel like, well, I really motivated Aaron at work today. Instead of, I pretty much drove him out of the workplace today. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I I look back on this, and and again, I think it's not that folks there didn't mean well. I'm just not sure they knew what to do, and I certainly didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm facing something that I never thought I would be facing, and you know, you don't know how to answer those questions. What do you need? Do you you know, the, there, as I noted, there were plenty of acts of kindness, sending my son books and, you know, things like that. And, and that's all very much appreciated, but, you know, I think it became something that just wasn't fixable. It just, you know. Well, you know, the one thing I will say to you, and this is just for me to you, and I, I do love our, you know, you and I text each other pretty regularly about how this feels and how the world shows up. But I'm saying this more just as a grief expert, that thing that you said at the beginning, which is sometimes you need a fresh start is true. It's absolutely true that, you know, when your world explodes and you lose as much as you have, sometimes people have to move across the country, get a new job, cut their hair and buy a new car in order for anything to make sense. So even if your company had shown up with all of the compassion and supported you and allowed you, you still might have found yourself in a place of feeling like, because, because the work is to move forward, carrying this untenable loss. There's the fresh grief, right? Which I don't know. I mean, to me, a year is still really fresh grief, 18 months. You're right on the cusp. Like in my experience working with people, But in fresh grief, you're really just trying not to drown in the water. You're not really swimming anywhere yet. Right. And I think sometimes when you're on that cusp of like, yeah, but I had, you know, there's this grief model, which is, which is about spending some time in your grief and spending your, some time moving forward. And, you know, the one thing kids won't let you do is sit still. Like they grow out of their clothes. They have a new school year. They now want to play the saxophone. Like they, and their, their mom didn't get to see them do X, Y, and Z. Like Sam will drag you forward, whether, you know, whether we're ready for it or not. So I just want to, I just want to say to you that all of what you went through is impossible. The grace in which you're allowing people to learn from it is, you know, just a gift that maybe we don't, even deserve. But I, I imagine there's some possibility that the phrase I use in grief often is like that it was always going to be this way, that even if your company had been amazing, you, this may be part of what it means for you to move forward in this. 
And, right. you know, I, I, you've said it so many times. I don't think this is about bad actors. I think it's a, a whole confluence of events. That's not very well informed, right? Like mm-hmm all the things, the reason we do trainings about racism and misogyny and in workplaces is because people mean well and say the dumbest shit ever, that they are using their personal experience for when they spent time doing blah, blah, blah. And so they, this is their impression, but that doesn't make it informed. That just means that that was their experience. But I think what you are sharing with us is again, you know, a male voice, which is important because I think you have working against you, the idea that like somehow men are not supposed to have so many emotions. Um, You're offering that and you're offering, I think with, you know, generosity of spirit, just how the car crash happened. And Mm -hmm. I think you would fit into that category of people who said I left because of a toxic work environment, but really your space became untenable because there was no room to grieve. And that is what I think workplaces really need to be thinking about because there are 9 million new grievers who have no idea how to do it going into workspaces that are being reinvented. I mean, Mm -hmm. in some ways, it's a huge opportunity to just start out by doing something, doing something different. How is your new job? Are you enjoying it? Was it a good shift? It's where I need to be. I mean, you know, I, I work remotely 100% of the time. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different position than I've had before. It was a little bit of a career shift. Yeah. But I, again, am grateful for the opportunity. It came along kind of through a networking opportunity. Someone I had known for a number of years thought I'd be a good fit. And oh, I love that. What's, what's most important for me now is the, is the flexibility of working remotely, you know, for, for, for many of the reasons we've discussed already. I mean, you know, being a single parent and, and it's, it's been life-changing to, to not have to go to an office. And so it's the right place for me to be. Right. Yeah. Before we go, because I think people may be interested, would it be okay to let folks know about the organization that you have put together for Tiffany and maybe, you know, people who want to learn a little bit more about that, maybe even donate some money to that? You know, I hesitate to even say it because there's no way you can learn about Tiffany on paper. Maybe just put a face to a name. You maybe have heard this story before, but I will, I'm going to tell it anyway. She came to one of my Christmas parties. I used to have these great Christmas parties over on Capitol Hill. And I was wearing a unbelievable pair of suede pants. Just like, I'm sure I spent all the money I had on these suede pants for the Christmas party. And I also had red lipstick on and I never wore red lipstick. And Tiffany came over and said, give me the lipstick. And she put the lipstick on her own lips which looked amazing, of course, because she had amazing lips. And I, she said something to me and I said, oh, kiss my ass. And she kissed my ass, those <laughs> suede pants with her red lips. And I still have them. I still have suede pants. I actually had it. I, ha- I had someone, cause it wasn't going to come out. So I had it fixed on the pants and I have Tiffany's giant red lips on my l- kid suede light pant, which I could not fit into for love or money right now, but that wasn't the first time I met her, but that was the first time that several people that I knew met Tiffany. And I thought, yeah, no, this is her entrance. This is how she is. This is what her life is like. She lives, leaves an indelible mark everywhere she goes, but I would love for you to just share one of the elements of what you've added into the world so that we can remember her. (laughs) Well, Tiffany had a large personality. She was a lot of fun, incredibly intelligent, very successful in her career. She kind of got into online journalism in the late 90s when that was kind of a new thing. And, you know, she really launched herself into a successful career kind of in a a journalism, media kind of political, you know, career because of, of where she started. And you know, it's just incredibly successful person, a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I've got a million stories and, and we, we, to honor her, we did start a foundation called the Tiffany Shackelford Foundation, 
just we're helping to fund some scholarships for young women in journalism that are earlier in the, early in their career to help them do some professional development. So it's a great way to honor and remember her. I think she'd be proud of that. You know, she was an amazing mother to to our son Sam and you know, as I said earlier, we were we were together for 18 years and married for 14 and I miss her dearly. Our house is way too quiet without her, but she she loved art, original art and had many friends who were artists and so our house has all kinds of funky paintings and, you know, pottery and our dishes are not Crate and Barrel, believe me, they're made by <laughs> an artist in Asheville, you know, so yeah. Tiffany is is with us in, in a lot of ways and, and it, you know, she always will be. That's right. You're just, yeah, you're choking me up a little bit. I'm thinking about playlists and <laughs> trips we took to go see Crazy Art. She took me to the museum in Baltimore that I can't think of the name of it at the, but you might know it. The one that is all art that's been created by people with mental illness. That's right. In Fells Point, she is so missed and you and Sam are so loved. And this was such a generous conversation. And, you know, I think you and I'll have more, but this is such a gift to the people who are listening, this hard conversation about how to show up. And I know that people are going to be thoughtful based on what you've told them today. Thank you so much for doing this, Erin. This is just really, really important. And it just makes my heart explode. Absolutely. Good to talk to you. And I'm always happy to, to, to share what I can to, to help others that are, you know, yeah, so generous. going through what is, what is unimaginable at times.